Everywhere I go, everywhere in the world, I don't think I can think of a single exception to this. Everywhere I go, people ask me this question. How can I know that I am one of God's elect? People are confused, often distraught by bad teaching, confused and distraught by their own experience in things because we are so inclined, we are so inclined to take things in Scripture and twist them, twist them as Satan twists them to our own discomfort, to our own woeful misery rather than as God has written them in his word. If you read what men say about the book of 1 John, you will find that almost all the commentators use this book as a means of introspection. Almost all of them take 1 John and turn the light of 1 John on you so that you cannot possibly, you cannot possibly with honesty have any peace or assurance from what's written here. But John tells us over and over and over again in these five chapters that it is his purpose in writing these five chapters, his purpose given by divine inspiration that we should know that we know him, that we should know that we have eternal life. We who believe God, Every sinner who believes God has reason from this book to walk before God with assurance. Now, I know people have trouble with assurance. I do too. I do too. And I'll tell you again, as I've tried to tell you for 33 years, I've tried to tell you just as often as I can think to tell you, the reason is always because I'm looking to the wrong place. Always, always, always. We look in ourselves to see if we love the Lord like we ought to. Well, Sam Wall, I've got news for you. You don't. And if you think you do, you don't know God. That, it just, that can't be in a printer, can it? If you had the vain imagination that you so love God, that that gives you peace with God and assurance before God. Now, since I, since I love the Lord so much, I know I'm saved. <sighs> I can't use words contemptible enough to speak against such things. Well, I, I, I don't know whether I know, know the Lord or not. I'm, I'm so sinful. That's, that's a false modesty. That's a false humility. It's the believer's sinfulness that he is aware of that gives him claim to Christ as his Savior. Don't take my sinfulness away from me. That's the only claim I've got before God. What I am before God is sin. And Christ came to save sinners. What I am before God is sin. And Christ came to put away sin. Well, I... I just don't know whether I'm saved or not. I, 
I don't love my brethren like I ought to. You don't. You don't. And if you think you do, you don't know what love is and you don't know God himself. That's just, I'm trying to be as plain as I can be. Well, Brother Don, where do you look for hope? Yonder to that man seated in glory, Christ Jesus the Lord. And that's all. And that's all. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 5. And we'll begin in this fifth chapter at verse 13. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. Look what John says here. These things have I written unto you. Now those are John's words. Those are my words as I preach to you. These things I have preached to you. These are God's words to you. These are God's words. John wrote by divine inspiration. Clause Peterson, this is what God says to you. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now back up to verse 1. I know there is a people in this world, loved of God, chosen of God, whose names are written in the book of life before the world began, a people for whom Jesus Christ lived and died, a people for whom he accomplished redemption. There are some people in this world called God's elect who must and shall be saved, a people whose sins Christ put away at Calvary, who cannot possibly go to hell. I know from the testimony of Holy Scripture that the Lord Jesus brought in righteousness for them, satisfied justice for them, and they must be saved. My question is, how can I know that I'm one of them? How can I know that my name's written in the book of life? How can I know that God chose me? He didn't choose everybody. He says so. He says that as plain as it can be. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. That's as plain as it can be. I know that Christ didn't die for everybody. If he did, either he's a miserable failure or some folks are in hell for whom he died and that just cannot be. That just cannot be. I know that Jesus, the Holy Spirit doesn't call everybody. If he did, everybody would come to Christ. Well, how can I know that God chose me, that Christ died for me, that the Holy Spirit has called me? How can I know that I'm one of God's elect? Let's look at the book of God here at 1 John chapter 5. Verse 1. Listen to what it says. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, what does John mean by that? I hear people foolishly, foolishly, foolishly talk about just a nominal assent to uh, some proposition folks make, some soul winner makes, that you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Well, bless God, you're saved. Every Mormon who walks on the earth believes in Jesus. Is that fact? 
Every Mormon who walks on this earth believes in Jesus, but he denies that he's God. Every papist who bows down and, and stoops at the stupid altar in a papist chapel and burns candles and, and prays to Mary believes in Jesus. Every one of them. Every one of them. Go ask them. Go ask them. Every will worship Arminian walking on this earth believes in Jesus just like the papist and just like the Mormon. Does that mean everybody saved? No. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, he's born of God. To believe that Jesus is the Christ to, is to believe that God's son, that man who lived and died at Calvary 2,000 years ago, by his obedience and death as the sinner's substitute, has fully accomplished everything the prophets wrote concerning him. Ah, now, he's born of God. Well, believing with the heart. What's that? Believing by the gift of God the Holy Spirit in your heart. And if you believe him, you know it. And useless to come talk to me, say, Brother Don, can you help me with the shirts? No, I can't. And I won't. <laughs> I just won't do it. Only a lost man will try to convince another lost man that he knows God. I'm not going to try to do it. I'm not going to try to do it. That's God's work. He does it through the preaching of the word. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. What's John saying? Just what you think it is. Those who love God love God's people. Those who love Christ love those who are one with Christ. Those who are born of God and taught of God love one another. Believers love one another because we believe God. And believing God, we are one in Christ one with one another, so that those who believe love the Savior and love those who are saved by his free grace. The believer, believing on the Lord Jesus, looks to his brother as his brother, fully worthy of heaven's glory because of Christ, and loves his brother because he's his brother in Christ Jesus the Lord. Do you trust Christ? as your prophet, priest, and king? Do you trust the Son of God as your only righteousness, your only salvation, your only hope with God? If you do, you're born of God. And your faith in him is not the cause of you being born of God. Your faith in him is the result, the fruit of you being born of God. And while love, as the scriptures everywhere declare, is an identifying characteristic of God's people, our love for God and our love for one another is so shallow, fickle, and sinful that if we dare make it a basis of personal assurance, we only delude ourselves. Look at verse 2. By this we know, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Love is made manifest by works. Made manifest by works. 
I do not know my love for my wife by the things I do for her. <laughs> oh, no, no. But she does. And there's no way for her to know that I love her except by the way I treat her. And so when John says that our, our love is, uh, back here in verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments, he's not saying that our love is evidence to us that we know God. That's not what he's saying. Our love is display to one another that we know God. So that brotherly love identifies believers to one another. Paul continually speaks of folks and says, we know your election because... He didn't say, I know my election because of what I do. He said, I know your election because you believe, because you love one another, because you give yourselves to the gospel, because you addict yourselves to the word of God. So that these outward signs, these outward tokens of grace that we see in one another, by these things, believers know one another. But he's not telling us that we know ourselves to be born of God, ourselves to be lovers of God because of these outward circumstances. John is making it clear that our works is no basis for personal assurance. He's telling us that God's people identify one another by their works of faith and love. Paul said to the Thessalonians, we give thanks always to God for you, making mention of, our prayers, of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your works of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Look here in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Love obeys. All who love God willingly obey him. All who love God willingly obey. So we, we keep the Ten Commandments. That ain't much. <laughs> that ain't much. That's a little bitty portion of this book. That's a little bitty portion of this book. Oh, what's he talking about? The whole revelation of God's will. Believers obey it. They bow to it. And nobody has to force them to. <laughs> no, nobody has to intimidate them into it. Nobody has to talk them into it. No, nobody has to twist their arms and uh, offer them rewards or threaten to punish them. Oh, no, no, no. They do so because they love. If we love him, we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not a burden. His commandments are not grievous. How can I say this so, so as to be understood? The easiest, most comfortable, delightful way of life in this world is obedience to God our Savior. Faith in Christ, walking with God, Obeying his word. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have my life any different for anything in the world except this. To perfectly obey. To perfectly believe. That'd be ideal. That'd be ideal. His commandments are not a burden. They're not grievous. But our works, my works, cannot give me assurance. And my love can't give me assurance. But there is a solid foundation upon which I have assurance. Look at verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Wow. 
Anybody that's born of God is going to triumph over Satan. Everybody who's born of God is going to trample the neck of the old fiend of hell under his feet and crush. God's going to crush him under your feet shortly. That's, that's the promise of God. Everybody who's born of God, somebody then is going to triumph in this world. Somebody's going to triumph over this world, all who are born of God. Look at verse 4. Next line. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Drawing strength from Christ, faith works wonders in the world. Faith has enabled men to subdue kingdoms. Faith has wrought righteousness. Faith has obtained God's promises. Faith, faith in Christ stopped the mouths of lions while Daniel was in the lion's den. Faith has quenched the violence of fire so that those three Hebrew men cast in the fire furnace didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Faith escapes the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, faith makes men strong. Faith causes men to wax valiant and fight and turns the flight of armies of aliens. But this is faith drawing strength from Christ. That which gives us the victory is not our faith, but the object of our faith, Christ Jesus the Lord. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and he overcomes the world. John assures us that faith produces both love and good works, but he draws us away from our love and draws us away from our good works as any grounds of assurance because Christ, the object of faith, is the only basis of hope before God. Look at verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, John's whole purpose in these first five verses is to show us these things are characteristic of believers. These things are characteristic of those who are born of God. These things you will see in God's people. But our hope, our confidence, our assurance is not in our faith. It's not in our love. It's not in our works. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in Christ. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So the singular basis of confidence, the singular basis of assurance, the singular basis of hope, the singular basis of confidence before God is this. I believe the Son of God. That's all. That's all. I believe the Son of God. And my behavior, be it good or bad, my feelings, be they ever so spiritual or ever so hellish, my experiences, be they ever so great or ever so dismal, do not alter the fact that I believe 
on the Son of God. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? Faith in Christ is the evidence of things, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All right, now, let's look at our text again. If we would rest our immortal souls on the merits of that man, Christ Jesus, trusting that he indeed is the son of the living God, we've got to have some evidence. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is not just blindly saying, I believe in Jesus. Faith knows who Christ is. Faith knows what Christ accomplished. Faith has a basis in the revelation of God. Now look what John tells us about him. Verses 6, 7, and 8. Under Mosaic law, every claim presented in legal matters had to be presented by two or three witnesses. Everything presented in court in the land of Israel had to be presented by the witnesses of two or three people who were eyewitnesses to that which was brought to, to, the char brought to charges against a man. And here the Apostle John produces three witnesses, three irrefutable, infallible witnesses, witnesses that could not be disputed by which every believing sinner may justly lay claim in his own heart to eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. In verse 6, he gives us witness to the deity of our Savior. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is to believe that he is God the Son. There is no faith in Christ unless we believe that Jesus the man is God the Son. And so we have witness given to the deity of Christ. In verse 7, witness is given to the accomplishment of redemption. It's useless to tell me that Christ died at Calvary. That's utterly meaningless. That doesn't mean any more than to tell me that my granddaddy died when I was a little boy, as far as salvation concerned. That's utterly meaningless. Unless you can convince me by irrefutable, witnesses that cannot be disputed that he accomplished redemption in his death. That's what he gives us in verse 7. And then he gives witness to the believer of our own saving interest in Christ in verse 8. Let's look at these three things. Witness to Christ's deity, a witness to redemption accomplished, and witnesses to the believer's saving interest in Christ. First, here's the witness of the water, the blood, and the Spirit. This is he which came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. We know that Jesus is the Christ because he came by water. He came by water. What does that mean? What does that mean? Perhaps it refers to him coming by natural birth, but that's not much of a witness. Perhaps it has some connection with baptism because he, by his baptism, symbolically fulfilled all righteousness, but I'm sure that's not the witness. That could be disputed. That could be argued. But he came 
by the witness of the word. The witness of the word. The word water is used throughout the New Testament to refer to the word of God. Our Savior said, now are you clean through the word which I've spoken to you. He sanctifies and cleanses his church with the washing of water by the word. We're born again by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And that's by the word of the gospel that God gives us. So the word of God is that which gives testimony to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Everything in this book, every requirement, every, everything that God spoke of concerning the Messiah, that God spoke of concerning redemption, everything typified, every promise, every prophecy is perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it's not possible, it is not possible that those prophecies being put together could be fulfilled by any other human being in time. They had to come to pass at precisely the time ordered in the Old Testament prophets, and they had to come to pass exactly in a man who met everything prophesied of, and Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary, the Son of David, is the Son of God. He met those demands. So that everything in this book, from Genesis to Malachi, spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he comes being witnessed to by the Word of God. The Scriptures spoke of his incarnation and virgin birth. The Scriptures spoke of his submission and obedience to the Father. The Scriptures declared his betrayal by Judas. The Scriptures spoke of his crucifixion, his substitutionary atonement, and the accomplishments of it. The Scriptures told us of his resurrection and his glory. All the types and all the prophecies, everything in the Old Testament spoke of him. Then we know that Jesus is the Son of God because he came by blood. Water is used in Scripture to symbolize the Word of God, and water is used in the Word of God to represent the Holy Ghost. Our Lord Jesus came being created in the virgin's womb by the Spirit of God. And he comes to us in regeneration by the Holy Spirit, taking the Word and effectually applying it to our heart. And the Spirit of God is brought to us through the Savior's precious sin-atoning blood. Christ Jesus had to come by water. He had to come by the Word of God. And he had to come by blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. It would not do. Christ could not be our Savior. He could not be our Redeemer. He could not be our substitute. He could not take us to glory. If he had come here, born of a virgin, living for 33 years in perfect righteousness, fully obeying the law of God for us, <coughs> for performing great miracles, feeding the multitudes with a few loaves and fishes, uh, causing the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk and the dead to be raised up. If he did all that, we could not believe he's the Messiah. We could not believe he's the Christ, except he go yonder to Calvary and bear the wrath of God in our stead, being made sin for us and fully satisfy the justice of God 
until God Almighty declares fury is not in me. Christ Jesus came by water and by blood. He claimed to be the Son of God. He demonstrated his power. He proved it by his sacrifice. We see his Godhead and the glory of God in him, in his sacrifice in our stead. Paul said, I delivered unto you the gospel. <clears throat> the gospel. And this is how he defined it. It's defined several ways in scripture, all of them consistent with one another. But this is how he defined it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. H-O-W. H-O-W. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Our Lord Jesus came by water, by the word, and he came by blood. He accomplished redemption by the sacrifice of himself, putting away our sins through the merit of his blood. And third, we know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, because God the Holy Spirit bears witness of his deity to his own. It is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. John recognized this when he was baptized, Bill. He saw the, he heard the voice of God out of heaven. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting on the Savior. And he said, this is he. This is he. Because God said, this is one that I, I've sent. Is when you see the Spirit descend and light upon him and abide on him, you know this is he. John said, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. On the day of Pentecost, the whole church knew that Jesus the Christ, that one who was crucified at Rome and buried in the tomb, that one whom they had seen and reported that he was risen from the dead, he is indeed enthroned in glory. He's the Christ of God because the Spirit of God was poured out upon his church, just as Joel said he would be, and bear witness that he's the Christ. And every sinner born and taught of God has the witness of the Spirit in himself, so that he comes in the power of omnipotent grace and sprinkles your heart and conscience with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, bearing witness that Jesus the Savior, he is the sacrifice, the mediator, the redeemer, the Messiah, by whom redemption has been accomplished. All right, look at verse 7. Here are three witnesses to that accomplishment of redemption. We know that Jesus is the Christ because these witnesses, the water and the blood and the Spirit are given to us. Look at verse 7. There are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Three that bear record in heaven? How do they bear record? What do they bear record of? They bear record that Jesus is the Son of God, yes, but heaven needs no record of that, or no witness of that. Heaven knows that. These three bear record in heaven that God has given us eternal life in strict accordance with holiness, justice, and truth. By the law being satisfied, by righteousness being brought in through the merits of his own dear son. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, 
and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. How so? God the Father in heaven accepted the blood of his Son for the atonement of sin. God the Father in heaven accepted the sacrifice of his Son for the salvation of our souls. God the Son, the living Word of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, bears record of our acceptance and our right to eternal life by his perpetual advocacy and intercession for us in heaven. I love to meditate on that day when our Savior cried, it is finished. And there was a thick veil, a thick veil hanging between the holy and the holy of holies, between the holy place and the most holy place. And when our Savior cried, it is finished. That veil separating men from God, that veil which forbade any man to come to God, except that high priest who had the blood that God demanded, that veil that said, God cannot be approached by man, and God will not receive man, and man cannot come to God. That veil was rent, slapped into from top to bottom, and God said, sinners, come in. And now we draw nigh to God in the full assurance of faith. What? In the full assurance of faith. With what? Barry Brown, with what could that high priest come into that holy place and know he'd live? Tell me, what could he bring? Blood. That's all. That's all. That's all. If he came in any other way, he had full assurance of being smacked to death by God's hand. Go ask Aaron's two sons. Go ask Aaron's two sons. You come to God and bring the fire that God requires and the fire that you like and God will send you to hell for it. You come to God and bring Christ's blood and your goodness and your prayers and your merit and your work and God will send you to hell for it. How do you come to God? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. That's all. That's how you come to God. With the blood of his son. And the Lord Jesus bears witness in heaven. We're accepted. Father. I pray for them. And God accepts us for Christ's sake. That's all. And God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, bears witness, bears record of the accomplishment of redemption by effectually applying the precious blood of Christ to the hearts of chosen sinners in effectual calling. He glorifies Christ, receiving the things of Christ and showing them to his people in heaven, and he applies them effectually to our hearts upon the earth, so that we now trust in Christ. You read it back there a little bit ago, Bob, in whom you also trusted. And now, after that you believed, believing on Christ, you have the seal of the Spirit. The seal by which God seals to your heart Every promise of God.
every covenant blessing. What's that? Faith in Christ. That's it. Faith in Christ. If you, uh, if you were to ask a Jew, let's go back 2,000 years. Go back 3,000 years. And find a Jew and uh, say, how do you know that you're one of Abraham's seed? He'd say, uh, unlike anybody else in the world, I've been circumcised. Nobody else, nobody else experienced such thing. Nobody else had this sign in their flesh. And now, how do you know that you're born of God? I've been circumcised with circumcision not made with hands. A circumcision made by God the Holy Spirit. And that circumcision worked in regeneration is faith in Jesus Christ the Lord. And believing on Christ, all the blessings of God in covenant grace, promised to God's elect, given to us in Christ before the world began. Every one of them, they're mine. Not one shall be withheld from me. How can you say such a thing? I believe God. That's all. I Believe the Son of God. I trust the Lord Jesus. And then we're given testimony of the believer's own interest in Christ. Look at verse 8. There are three that bear witness in the earth. The Spirit, the water, and the Word, or the word and the blood. And these three agree in one. God, the Holy Spirit, the water, the Word of God, and the blood of Christ, these three agree in one. Now, notice how the order has been changed. The witnesses to Christ's deity are first the Word, then the blood, then the Spirit. The witnesses to redemption's accomplishment are first the Father, then the Son, then the Spirit. The witnesses to our saving interest in Christ are first the Spirit, then the word, then the blood. A saving knowledge of Christ begins with the revelation of God the Holy Spirit. It begins with him revealing to us the things that God has treasured up for his own, for those who are called by his grace in time, given us from, from eternity in Christ Jesus the Lord. The revelation of Christ in me. This, this assurance, this knowledge of life that I have now is given to me because God the Holy Spirit gave me life. Now that's where it all begins. That's where it all begins. In this sweet, sweet thing called salvation. This sweet, sweet thing called the grace of God. Everything begins with the gift of life. People talk about, well, you've got to feel, you've got to go through, you've got to do. <laughs> You're not going to get anything with a dead sinner until he's given life. not going to get anything with a dead sinner until he's given life. And you say, well, doesn't a man have to come to the Lord? Yeah, but he can't come to the made to live. 
Doesn't mean he has to believe on Christ, yeah, but he can't believe unless God makes him live. Doesn't mean he has to repent of his sins. Oh, yeah, you can't, you can't go to glory without repenting, but you can't repent until God gives you life. Doesn't mean he has to choose the Lord. Well, of course you do. Who would suggest you didn't want to? But you're not going to choose him until he gives you life. The dead sinner's dead. He's dead. Everything begins with the gift of life. And then the word. We're born again by the washing of regeneration through the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which lives and abides forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This is the means, not a means, the means by which God saves sinners. Brother Frank Hall wrote an excellent message on seven impossible things a couple of weeks ago. I'll add one to it. As it is impossible for God to lie, it's impossible for God to save sinners apart from the preaching of the gospel. It's impossible. How can that be? Because God said that's the way I'm going to do it. <laughs> he said he's ordained by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Well, that gives a mighty high place to preaching, doesn't it, though? Doesn't it, though? That doesn't give any high place to anybody except God. God takes things like you and me and puts in us the treasure of his grace, the gospel of his grace. He said, now go Shine this light everywhere. And cast your bread upon the waters. Preach the word, beginning at Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in all the parts of the earth. And God says, I will gather my elect from the four corners of the earth. And God the Holy Spirit takes the word and applies it to the hearts of chosen sinners effectually. And when he does, by the word, by the word, he comes and sprinkles the conscience so that the sinner, hearing the word, finds himself by some irresistible compulsion of grace, by some irresistible power from heaven, suddenly believing on the Son of God, resting in Him because God the Spirit taking the word of the gospel and sprinkles his conscience to purge his conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God, convincing him of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment through Jesus Christ our Lord. This saving knowledge of God our Savior is a knowledge based upon and arising from the written revelation of God sealed to our hearts by the power of God the Holy Spirit. This is the record God has given, and we believe God. All right, look back at our text one more time. 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. Faith takes God's bare record, takes God's bare record, Most of you are parents. Let me find a child here. Matt, Cody, y'all got mama and daddy. Did you ever ask them why 
And the response was, I said so. You remember that? And if you uh, should happen to say, I don't believe you, I don't think you'd have any teeth in the front right now. Why? What boy? I, I don't qualify as a parent. I only had one child and he was a girl, so I don't qualify on what I'd do. But I got a hunch. I got a hunch. If I had a son that called me a liar today, I'm 63 years old. If I had a son who's 42 years old called me a liar today, I'd still knock his teeth down his throat. I wouldn't tolerate it. I flat would not tolerate it. Wouldn't tolerate it. You think God does? Faith takes God at his word. He said so. He said so. Let's read it. 1 John 5, verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, we receive the witness of men. Two or three of you fellows come in here and report the same thing to me. I presume it's so. The witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. He that believeth on the Son of God. Everlasting life. So what is that? He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made God a liar, because he believeth not the record. You got it in your hand. The record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in his son he that hath the son hath life he that hath not the son of God hath not life these things have I written to you that believe on the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may go on all your days believing on the name of the Son of God. Amen.